Welcome back to a brand new episode of Conversations with Coley. I am author Nicole Miller of the book series A through Z Guide to Raising a Good Human, a series I'm writing to bridge the gap in communication between parents and children of all ages, tackling all topics, especially those tough subjects. Thank you for joining me and my guests as they share their experience and how they turned it around to improve their lives. For the next hour, spend time listening to our conversation about some of the most arduous situations or moments when all hope felt lost. But instead of giving up, they pushed through. To another episode of Conversations with Coley. Today I am speaking to Daniel Hodges, co-founder and president of the Pieces of Me Foundation. Thank you for being here, Daniel. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm happy to have you. I'm going to do an icebreaker question before we get into our conversation. If you could have one wish, what would it be? Oh, man. Um, I think the wish would be for people to have a better understanding of what they have to bring into the world, because I think it would solve so many other problems. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I think that if we got out of our own way, we would probably be doing better. So I'm going to read the mission statement of the Pieces of Me Foundation, if that's okay. Absolutely. All right. So Pieces of Me mission statement. Pieces of Me works to eliminate stigma associated with disability, physical difference, and chronic illness by providing resources and connections to individuals and families and appropriate training to professionals in these spheres. I love this. So before we dive into what your foundation is, tell us about yourself. Absolutely. And thank you for reading that. I decided to start pieces with my cousin in 2019 in between my first and second year of law school. And that was based on the fact that I was born blind and I have chronic pain and some other disabilities. And between the obstacles I had faced in my life that were not readily addressed and those that she had faced and so many others that we cared about, we just saw a need for people to have the availability of getting these resources, sharing insights and ideas with one another. And so, you know, I'm somebody who really has chosen to take a lot of challenges I have faced, some physically, but more socially, more environmentally, and more structurally, and just say, look, I have been blessed to have a few other things go my way. And so I want to create some positive momentum based on those experiences and not let those struggles go to waste. Not only because I believe that it can help others learn what they're capable of, but also because I am firmly of the opinion that living in kindness, living in service is one of the best antidepressants, one of the best pain control methods I have found. It doesn't take everything away, but it certainly is a way that I live out my faith and allows me to have a greater sense of equilibrium as opposed to if I were just laying in bed feeling sorry for myself, wondering which joint's going to hurt today. Yeah, that's 100%. Because when we are providing service to others and being kind to others, we get a little bit of a dopamine hit. It's a chemical reaction and then we give it to them. And I always thought, why can't we just teach the world to be nice to one another? Because it's beneficial to both. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. 
So the butterfly is your logo. Tell us about the meaning of the butterfly. Um, so the butterfly is a symbol of the process that we go through as we learn to embrace who we are, despite whatever refining fire we go through. And we're actually this year, and this hasn't gone live on the website yet or all the socials yet, but we're transitioning from our old logo, old logo, which showed a monarch butterfly into one that shows a comma butterfly, which is less known. And the beauty of the comma butterfly is that if you look at it really quickly, it looks like the wings are broken or malformed. But you learn that in reality, they are exactly the way that they're supposed to be to fit the needs of that butterfly. And so we thought that was just so analogous to the fact that so many of us go through life feeling like we're broken or being constantly told that we're broken, either expressly or kind of implicitly. And we're trying to help people understand, no, even if your circumstances are what you hoped they would be, you still have a much greater capacity to give and to thrive than you're often told. Yeah, that's so true. That is so true. So what stigmas can you name that people with disabilities or different abilities face? I like to say different abilities because I have a son who has Asperger's syndrome and I look at autism as a different ability, not so much a disability. Yeah, and, and I, I love that we're um, starting off talking about stigma and the fact that you have the podcast theme of having the conversations that we're all wondering about, but not usually wanting to talk about because that's a direct contributor to stigma. Mm -hmm. And so I was sitting with a friend of mine last fall and we were talking about the barriers that we face as individuals who are both, as we would say, congenitally blind. So we were born blind and We've gotten skills and training and a lot of other things that have le led us to be able to live productive lives. And I said, you know, I bet if we looked at it, I asked her, okay, what percentage of the struggles you face do you feel like are inherent to the natural process of vision loss versus what percentage is occurring based on social barriers, structural barriers, et cetera. And she says, you know what? I think it's probably about 20% intrinsic and 80% structural. I said, you know, I actually had that same number in mind. And that number may fluctuate for other listeners, depending on their circumstances. But the key takeaway in my mind was, if you were to pull the average person off the street, they're probably thinking of it in completely opposite terms. They're mm -hmm. aware that there's a lack of Braille or misconceptions about blindness or maybe not all websites are accessible, but they would have the perspective that, you know, 80% is just the tragedy, quote unquote, of vision loss and 20% is controllable. And the reason why that was such a key insight was because when we flip that on its head to not only more closely reflect what we're experiencing, mm -hmm. does that take a big chunk out of the stigma 
but it also reinforces the idea that, wait a minute, if 80% of what we're dealing with is completely man-made, we have the capacity as a people to do much more to address these inequities than we mm-hmm. ever possible. Yeah. So why do you think that these things kind of have fallen off and not been addressed if it's things that can be fixed man-made? I think there's a tremendous underestimation of the frequency and the the depth and just the impact of these barriers. Mm-hmm. I think that we also tend to overlook the fact that if you run into one barrier after another, it's not a linear thing. It's an exponential thing. I was using the example when I was doing a guest lecture in a class last week of, you know, when you run into the first accessibility barrier, you're a little irritated. The next one, you're starting to get a little mad. By the time you hit the eighth one, you're ready to throw your computer across the room. And we're in a system where it happens so frequently that it really hampers our ability sometimes to effectively communicate what's Mm -hmm. happening. And without that effective communication on both sides and without a proper understanding of how the pie chart is divvied up, so to speak, as far as where you know, certain things have impact and what roles they play. If we don't have a basic understanding of those foundational pieces, we end up creating solutions that just become more and more misaligned. Yeah. Do you think the problem lies in the people that have the different abilities or the disabilities not having a voice in how the world should look for everyone? That's certainly a part. Even in situations where you have greater conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion, access has historically been left off of that Mm -hmm. and completely out of that paradigm. So that's part of it. But then you also have potential allies, employers, whomever, who come to me privately quite a bit and say, you know, I'm glad you're bringing this to our attention, not only because we didn't understand the depth and breadth of the problem, but also because we have felt so uncomfortable broaching this topic out of fear that we're going to say the wrong thing, we're going to ask something offensive, we're going to get sued if we try to do something and do it wrong. Yeah. It's not that it's not that the wrong question or comment doesn't hurt, especially if you're not in a mental place where you're steady to do it. And, 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 and that's not, um, mm-hmm. uh, but the, the reality of the matter is if we stay in that place where people are afraid to ask questions or engage in that conversation, again, stigma and fear just perpetuates. Mm-hmm. And so as an advocate, it's not that I never get bothered by the things that are said or done. Far from it. But I think for those of us who have come to embrace who we are, or at least are on that journey, you know, it's helpful if we can take those moments with the right support and the right preparation to say, okay, I'm in a safe place that I have created even for myself. Now I can engage you person who wants to know more 
And I mentally prepared to say, look, if you're here having this conversation with me, I'm going to assume that you are wanting to do more, that you're wanting to learn more. And so mm-hmm. I through that prism and then I'm not going to be quite as upset by something that may come out indelicately because I understand where your heart is but that mm-hmm. takes, it takes a great deal of work and it's not easy and it's not something that we can or should have on 24 7 definitely definitely I appreciate you saying that because I think a lot of times in today's society especially there is a lot of I would rather ignore I would rather turn the blind eye I would rather just pretend it's not there because I'm afraid I might offend or upset someone if I say the wrong thing yeah and and you know what what ends up happening there is that as somebody who feels marginalized already, Mm -hmm. we go to a company or to a person and say, hey, your product or service is excluding me. Can you please fix it? Mm -hmm. And we feel ignored, then for better or worse, the natural assumption that we then have to walk through or navigate through is a better term, I guess, is that the person is either indifferent or hostile or perhaps even has some sense of malice that more often than not have none of those none of the above but the but the framework has not been sufficiently laid out in order for us to create solutions mhm mhm so how do we begin to lay that framework Again, I think it comes back to exactly the kind of thing you're doing with your podcast, which is getting people much more comfortable and willing to engage in the tough conversations and not feel ashamed or guilty for the things we don't know, because all of us have tremendous gaps in our knowledge because we're looking at things through the prism of our experience. Mm-hmm. And Nothing wrong with that. There, there's a need for us to bring our perspective to the table and learn from each other so that we can start creating solutions that are much more representative of all of the voices and perspectives that are represented. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. So what does your foundation do to help kind of bridge these gaps? So apart from having one-on-one conversations like this, we also try to have bigger conversations either through social or last year we had 11 different webinars on a variety of topics that were not your average run-of-the-mill things and Mm -hmm. we structured them in a way that if you are new to this environment you would have an on-ramp to feel like you're not being judged, which is kind of being brought through your early steps. But also, if you've been around the block, there were still going to be new and novel ideas that would keep you engaged so that we could actually build the community with a variety of experience levels. And we're not running events at the moment, although we plan to continue doing that later in 2023 and just get people talking, whether it's through social, whether it's through 
events, whether it's trainings at trade associations or whatever the case may be, and just say, look, this is not this is not a topic or a discussion that you can really afford to ignore, nor mm-hmm. is it one that you should feel afraid to engage in. But mm-hmm. if you feel like this is an opportunity rather than an obligation, because we can help make that case. We mm-hmm. can talk about how, you know, two thirds of working age people with disabilities or different abilities are currently unemployed or a great deal more underemployed and what that means to the overall yeah. availability for talent of talent for businesses and start getting people to look at it from a perspective of look how much potential we're just leaving on the cutting room floor. Right. Then then we change the entire dynamic from scarcity to abundance and then we have a much greater ability to to engage in the kind of discussions that need to be had. Yeah, absolutely. So with your blindness and stuff like that, did you have a hard time in the workforce trying to find work and stuff like that? I did. And um, so to give you a little bit more background, I mentioned earlier that I had chronic pain and such, and that's in the form of a connective tissue disease. So I've had several surgeries. I sometimes use as an icebreaker that I've had third orthopedic surgery in all four mainland U.S. time zones. <laughs> and so on one hand, I have a lot that I can bring to a team as far as insight and perspective and such. And on the other, can I, can I do your traditional nine to five at my desk Sometimes, not always, because again, in the inevitable moments where where a hip is messed up or inflammation has come back to my hands or whatever, I've got to adapt and maybe build an extra break for other things. But I think we're still, COVID has opened up some of those doors where we look at what productivity can be if we stop looking at the wrong metrics, but we're still not there yet. We're still not at where where employers, particularly in some of your higher level professions, are looking at what is the overall contribution versus how closely do we do they model the or how, how closely do they replicate the model employee we have in our mind? Right, right. I never even thought about that stuff, but that's such a good point is that when when you're approaching an employer as someone with different abilities or you know limitations and things like that you are probably turned down more often than not because of the 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 mindset of this is the model employee that i'm looking for although that other person might not look it on the outside or whatever but on the inside has all the boxes checked absolutely and tying together something that we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. when you have employers who have an idea of how a task or series of tasks need to be performed and when they are afraid to ask about alternative techniques which by the way if done correctly is perfectly legal yeah afraid to ask those things then I'm not being judged on what a blind person with chronic pain can do. I'm being judged on what they think a blind blind person with chronic pain can do, which is often two very different things. Yes, yes. And I think that this can spread all over the board is that in our minds, we think 
everyone should think like us. Everyone should do certain things certain ways when in fact, trust the process. Yep. Yeah. Wow, that's a great point. So how can the world show up differently in that way? How can we open up our minds and to say it doesn't have to necessarily be X, Y, Z. It could be the other way. I think the biggest and often most overlooked step is, like you said, just simply stopping and asking ourselves, what are we assuming? What are we just subconsciously concluding in our minds without sufficient evidence and without sufficient input and what are the offshoots of those assumptions because mm-hmm. if we're willing to take a curious approach as opposed to a presumptive approach it really opens up a lot of doors and a lot of opportunities yeah 100 percent. there are people with different abilities that are ceos of companies now i think that we need to we need to get that word out there that CEOs of companies. I mean, and I, I will say, um, there's a, there's a quote from Grey's Anatomy of all places that I think is relevant here. And I don't recall the exact quote, but they, the gist of it was when you enter into a room, look for the smartest person in the room and hang out with them. And if you find that that's you find a different room. And maybe the takeaway here is stop trying to be the smartest person in the room and start being the most curious person in the room. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And be willing to ask those questions from a good place. So how can people support this foundation better? How can we get this out there more so that more people can hear about this foundation? I would say, um, say start by, you know, checking us out on social. Uh, we are at Pieces of Me Foundation on you know, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, YouTube, etc. And that is P-E-A-C-E-S of me. We spelled it that way for a purpose to promote the fact that we are not broken, but that as we embrace who we are, that real kind of piece comes in. So again, P-E-A-C-E-S of me. And I mean, obviously we're always looking for volunteers. We're looking for people who can just come in and share their stories mm-hmm. because no matter where you're coming from, your story, your insights, what you've learned through your journey, either as somebody with a disability or as an ally or a parent or whatever, you've learned something that would benefit somebody else if they if they only knew it. Mm-hmm. So just simple things like that. And I mean, I'll also say, look, we started this with no initial capital. We've raised a little bit of money here and there just by bootstrapping it. But we didn't come into this uh, with somebody on our team who was just a millionaire willing to drop money into the bucket. And, you know, nobody wrote us a big old check and said, hey, go change the world. We had nickel and dime this thing into existence and so we you know i guess i guess to to put a bow on that time talent or treasure everybody has at least one of those things to offer your everybody's welcome regardless of where they've been or what they're trying to accomplish so just come be part of our community yeah 100 percent. and so what does what does what kind of things are you 
kind of focusing on to kind of start making those changes? Again, a lot of it comes back to uh, community outreach, facilitating these conversations. We're also, we've had interns in the past, we plan to have them again, where we can give real job training and real experience that they can put at the top of the resume to, to, to people who are often looking for that first real experience to combat some of the stigmas. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we're ultimately wanting to crowdsource what I call the Wikipedia of Disability Resources because it's not currently out there, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of time people try to get their own team together and research everything that's out there. And that's ultimately going to be finite. But, you know, I can say you as somebody who is a parent of a kid with Asperger's, you've, I'm sure, learned some things. You can oh, yeah. share some insights or some resources or things you found helpful into the database. And if we get people like yourself who say, hey, I don't know everything, but I know this, this, and this. You build that to critical mass from different experiences from people all over the world. And now you have the kind of database that illuminates the landscape in a way that it's just never been explored that way before. Mm-hmm. And so you start having real stories, real data, and things that can create a much deeper and richer understanding than we've ever accomplished. 100%. And I can tell you from experience, one of the things that I would like to figure out is how to stop well-meaning, and I say that with air quotes, well-meaning people to tell you when your child has something like that, that they will never. I hate that. Do you know that your child will never dot, dot, dot? (laughs) Okay. I got to sit here and say, um, I mentioned that. I'm a law grad. I'm not a practicing attorney. I just, for health reasons, didn't sit for the bar, but I'm a law grad. If you knew that about me, you'd never know that 20 years ago, as a teenager, I sat in a room with my parents and a so-called professional who told them, oh, well, he's missed so much school. He's this, he's that, he's blind. You better just accept all he'll ever be able to do is menial tasks like caning chairs. Oh, I, and they said that in front of you. Yeah. And, you know, I, I missed out on a lot of schooling because the public schools, the public schools didn't have the resources and didn't find the resources to help me really thrive. And one thing led to another. And I had a gigantic gap literal gap in my K-12 education that I had to go back and get a GED and start from there in order to get to college and and beyond. And it's so frequent that, again, we look at what we think you need a pair of eyes to do or what Mm -hmm. we think you need a pair of functioning legs to do or what we think one cannot do if they are neurodiverse and it's just it's just so profoundly untrue and the worst part about it is um, not only that it's said but eventually after those things are said enough we internalize them yeah and they speak, i don't have to hear 
somebody else say those things to me anymore because I started to say them to myself. Right. And until right. learn how to stop that. Yes. Far more debilitating reality than anything involving the actual disability. That is 100%. I can agree on that 100%. If people could just stop filling other people with limitations and drawing lines for them when they're not inside their heads. Yeah. yeah. I have seen that a lot. Um, I was a waitress in Florida and there were kids that came in with their parents that had Down syndrome. And when you sat at the tables at this restaurant, we would come over and set you up. So we would put a placemat. The placemat was the menu. We would put a cup. We would put silverware. I once put a placemat in front of this Down syndrome boy and the mother ripped it from my hands and said, he can't read. And I said, maybe he would like to be like everyone else at the table. Yeah. I said that to the mother. <laughs> yeah. I was like, woman, he can see that y'all have a placemat. Maybe he just wants a placemat. Exactly. <laughs> well, and, and let me tell you. Um, so I, I have a little bit of vision in my left eye, none in my right. Enough that if you, enough vision in my left eye that if you blow something up to, let's say, a 72 or a 96 point font, I can kind of sort of read it. I mm -hmm. can one letter at a time and I can maybe somehow get by. But you might say in that case, I am functionally illiterate. But with that, I was not taught Braille until I was a few months shy of 18. And, um, you know, audio books and audio other stuff wasn't nearly as prevalent back in the late 90s, early aughts as it is now. And so if you were to look back 20, 25 years ago and you'd be like, oh, well, Dan can't really read either. <laughs> and the reality of the matter is I couldn't read because, or I could barely read because the technology and the other available resources were not, were not available to me. Mm -hmm. Now, is that the same as what you're describing? No, but it's, there's a corollary there mm -hmm. because a lot of illiteracy so to speak is based on again we have this idea of reading means x y and z mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah if, if i if i can upload an accessible pdf or a word document to my ipad that um that has my law textbook on it or some other legal document on it and i use the text-to-speech software on my iPad to navigate that material, so long as I comprehend it, and I do, and can analyze it, and I can, what does it matter right. if I'm reading it that way as opposed to somebody with a textbook in their hand? It doesn't. No. The information's getting in, and you're processing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Like we need to work on this is a huge thing that you're working on. This is like changing the way we view education.
the way we view what the workplace should look like and it should go for people who are chronically ill too you know if we can create jobs that people can do around how they're feeling make you know people with chronic illness most oftentimes if they just sleep enough they can actually function so why not make it where they can you know work have their break times to take care of their health but still be able to perform a job and get paid and there is um there is a direct link between reimagining what production looks like and increasing that productivity mm-hmm. there's a direct link between that increased productivity and dignity mm-hmm. and direct link between dignity not only receiving service but giving it there's a direct link between that and better health and prevention of suicide it all starts with the top of the chain saying we need to look at what people can do that is meaningful participation in society. Mm-hmm. Stop waiting until people are in crisis to say, oh, well, we really do appreciate you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Why do we wait until the person's like, oh, I've, I've attempted suicide 12 times and almost yep. succeeded. I landed in a hospital. Now I'm getting your attention. Exactly. That's not the way it should be. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think too, as people, we need to look at ourselves and stop trying to fit people in boxes. Yes. Let's just get rid of the boxes. <laughs> Do you have anything that you want to share to people? Do you have a message you want to share? I think tying all of this back together, you mentioned earlier about the chronic illness piece, and that's often left out of the disability discussion. Yeah. And once it once it is included, we're looking at some of the better estimates showing that one in four people have a disability of some sort. That is still an underestimate, largely based on the stigma and self-reporting. Mm-hmm. But the reason I use that figure is because even when we say one in four, we stop thinking about this as being, oh, I met a person with a disability sometime many years ago. And we start saying, wait a minute, I interact with people with disabilities, either visible or invisible every day. Yeah. Yeah. So critical. And again, there's a mountain of evidence out there showing that we're not being engaged and brought into the fold at anything close to critical mass. Mm-hmm. But, but when we do, it's going gonna, it's gonna to switch the paradigm on so many things. You mentioned education and employment earlier, and you know, healthcare is another one where we mm-hmm. say, wait a minute. The fact that I am blind, for instance, should not negatively impact my health, but it does when it comes to lack of inclusion, when it comes to inaccessibility in the healthcare setting, when it comes to stereotypes. Disability not associated with actual natural consequences of of the actual condition. Even when you account for those rare things, Disability is a social determinant of health. And mm-hmm. it should, um, so it's, it's everywhere. It's housing. It's so many things. But again, I, I, I want p- 
people to have that mind blown moment, but then I want people to come back to the point where they say, okay, it's overwhelming, but there's still a place I can do my little part to bring about change. Mm-hmm. And if enough people are able to focus on what is readily available to them to make a positive contribution, that's where we start to have the tide turn in the right direction. Because mm-hmm. the problem is so massive in a sense, but it's also remedied by small advancements on an individual level. 100%. 100%. What can uh, people like myself do to teach our children and our grandchildren to recognize people as with disabilities or with different abilities or with chronic illness as being able to bring something to the table? Start by learning about their gifts and talents. Yeah. I love that you said that because that's the whole thing. People are like, oh, you know, you have a child. People would say that you have a child with autism and they would say it like it was a bad thing. And can I tell you as a mother of all the disabilities that are out there, I also have a disabled aunt and a disabled uncle with all the disabilities that were out there. To me, I was like, that's not a bad thing thing. I didn't see it as a bad thing. I thought it was a blessing, really, because my son taught me so much about how he sees the world. And we're seeing, um, especially in the tech industry, we're seeing where neurodiversity is being seen as an asset, finally. And Mm -hmm. I hope that takes root. And I, I envision and I hope and pray for the day where other quote-unquote disabilities are treated that same way where our natural intrinsic problem-solving strategies are more fully appreciated where our vantage point is more fully leveraged and i think we can get there if we if we're conscious of that need Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how do we speak to the medical professionals so they stop putting limitations on parents of newly born children with limitations i think um i think health literacy is a big thing and feeling like you as a parent or as a patient have the right not just the privilege but the right to engage with your medical professionals as an as an equal part of the team that Mm -hmm. is often so overlooked and i i'm steadfast in that conviction But then we have a world where in several parts of the country, it is still perfectly legal for medical schools or medical facilities to discriminate against otherwise qualified either med students or practitioners with disabilities based on a misconstrued idea of patient safety. And so where, again, we're at least 25% of the patient population arguably more, but mm-hmm. yet we are less than 5% of the professional side, at least practicing out of the closet, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Think mm-hmm. About, we know with other minority populations, if they're not represented on both sides of the stethoscope, care for those minority populations suffer. It's no different with disabilities. Right. 
Right. And I'm sure just like a lot of other people that don't see a lot of people that look like them in in jobs and in society, it's the same for the disability group, too. The, yeah. They don't get to see they don't get to go to a doctor that has the same things as them, has been through it, maybe has a family member. If you want doctors and nurses to have a higher level of understanding and a higher level of standards for the blind patients they come across, I can't think of a better solution than to have a fully qualified, competent blind colleague that they work alongside with every day. Mm -hmm. That will stereotype so much more quickly than any other thing we can do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, if you can pass the, the schooling, why shouldn't you be able to? How are you a risk? Because I think it's more risky for people who barely get by or cheat to get through and then they're practicing medicine. That's actually more negligent than someone who is actually putting the mind to do the work, doing the work, and then in the profession that they love. And it, again, it all comes back to, I've never lived this experience, but I think through my professional mind that you can't do this without having all of the things I have. That's really what it comes down to. Right. And it's just, if you think about it, the hubris involved in that statement, but yet it, it persists. It's so true. I want that to end. How do we end it? <laughs> There's not enough money. I don't know. I'm not a billionaire. If I had as much money as Elon Musk, instead of going to space, I would be attacking that. <laughs> Absolutely. And no offense, Elon. <laughs> and and again you know it it comes down to if we look at it from the macro it's it's overwhelming but knowing that they're already even in the healthcare space there are qualified very talented professionals living their best lives as providers with disabilities and mm -hmm. not only changing the minds of their colleagues but banding together and creating change and changing the experience of their patients, it's already happening. We Good. just need to help it happen more. Yes, yes, absolutely, 100%. Let's see more of it. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you have any other advice that you can share with us? I think, I think again, just tying it back to, when we think about the idea that good things are happening, we can just add to it. Hopefully that's a less overwhelming statement than I need to go do some good in the world. Just go add to what, add, just go find your niche and add to the good things that are already happening in whatever, to whatever degree you can. Yeah. And to the people that don't believe good things are happening, can you, can you also tell them that there is? Cause I am like, you would not believe the amount of people that are trying to change the tide. They really are. But then you'll talk to people and they're like, no, I don't believe you. So how do we convince them that it is true? It's tough. And I deal with this a lot, even in my own circles, because change is frustratingly slow. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it feels like we're actually losing ground. And um, I think the biggest thing that has made a difference in my mental health and my advocacy work has been surrounding myself with people who look for solutions rather than look for problems. I love that advice. I love that advice because the people I work with teach that. <laughs> I love it.
thank you so much for that. So how do we keep following pieces of me? How do, where do I find that? How do we keep in touch so that we can get more people on board and maybe make this a nationwide situation someday? So, um, Again, you know, social is one of the easiest thing. If you also go to piecesofme.org, there is a link to my personal calendar if you want to learn more about how to be involved or just want to find some help or just a friend. Um, I am also available as Daniel Hodges JD on LinkedIn. Um, feel free to connect, send a message, whatever. I mean, I can't solve all the world's problems, but I'm here to help where I can. That's so, right. <laughs> be, part of, be part of the community. Come, yeah. come, come add to what we're doing. Yeah, I love that. I, I hope more people add to it because I read the mission statement. I was looking at the website and I'm going to tell you, I loved it. I loved the way you spelled pieces and why you spelled it that way. I just thought that that was just so great. And so I hope more people join with you and you get the word out there and get these stigmas taken away and eradicated so we can say you remember when they had so many stigmas around things well they don't anymore yeah. <laughs> daniel thank you so much for being here thank you it's been such a pleasure i'm glad we finally got this I'm <sighs> you're kidding me i know <laughs> same <laughs> just when you thought it would never happen it thank you for spending time listening to our conversation if you enjoyed this and other episodes please subscribe like and share so we can reach more listeners with our powerful messages and stay tuned to hear about our affiliates and recommendations they change from episode to episode Thank you for listening to this podcast and all our other podcasts on YouTube and Spotify. I would like to also shout out a couple of apps that have helped me and a couple of products that have helped me in my podcast journey. FUD. What the FUD is FUD? The FUD app is an app that connects you to those who need your business. There is something for everyone. Side hustles? Check. Coaching opportunities? Check audience check they have what you want and what you need within one place and they support you and your hustle or shall i say bustle debbie let me teach you how to debbie debbie is a natural energy booster they also make a hydration powder and they give you free gifts share this episode back to me at coley's at gmail.com and i will give you a savings promo code are you a coach a teacher, an educator, and you have wisdom that you'd like to share to others that you may not find on the platforms you're currently on, follow me and this podcast on the Wisdom app.